0: Welcome to the inner source healing podcast the program dedicated to helping you heal from toxic abuse my name is deborah ashway and i'm a licensed clinical mental health therapist and a licensed clinical addiction specialist but more than that i'm someone who's been where you are now and has experienced the devastating effects of toxic abuse it's been a long journey through the path of healing but i'm here to share with you the insights and the tools that i've gathered along the way In this podcast, we'll explore the common symptoms that result from experiences with toxic abuse, such as depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, and feeling trapped. We'll also delve into the various techniques used by individuals with toxic and manipulative behaviors. But most importantly, I'll provide valuable techniques and practices to aid in the healing process. The healing journey brings us through those long-standing false perceptions that hold us back from experiencing a more fulfilling and meaningful life. It's about healing from dependency, codependency, trauma bonding, and abuse. You don't need to feel trapped anymore. Join me as we explore the path to inner healing and empowerment. Today, we have a special guest, Francesca Raulison, a remarkable individual who is dedicated to helping others and shares my passion for helping others and recognizing the signs of emotional abuse in their relationships. Francesca founded a nonprofit organization called Umena, and thank you so much for joining me today and being on this podcast.
1: And first, can you just tell me a little bit about Umena? Of course. Thank you so much for having me today, Deborah. Um, Well, I'm Francesca and I'm the founder of uh, Umena. We are a nonprofit that is promoting social emotional learning uh, to, to prevent and break the cycle of emotional abuse, starting in my home country, Madagascar. Um, can you
0: share a little bit about your personal experiences or your insights that led you to focus on healing from toxic relationships and establishing the Omena group?
1: Yes. So, um, it started, uh, say seven, seven, eight years ago, uh, when I uh moved to the United States. So I grew up all my life in Madagascar, and uh, I came here. I went to a community college, and I. I started as a psychology major because I wanted to understand myself better, Uh, but mainly because back then I was not aware of, um, I would say the type of environment I was growing up into until I was trained as a sexual assault peer educator. Um, That's where I learned about all of the different forms of abuse, especially uh, psychological and emotional abuse. And I remember that during that training, we had this um, checklist of all of the signs of how it looked like, the signs of emotional, verbal, and psychological abuse. And I remember I checked all of the boxes and I didn't know that all of the signs there, such as belittlement, um, insults, all of those I could experience. I, I knew that I I knew them but I didn't know that if done repeatedly and done uh, like that it was called emotional abuse. So that was my first eye opener. I experienced it uh growing up in um, in my household but also in my romantic relationships, in the community overall because um it usually starts in the household and it has spillover effects in the other relationships in our lives when we don't realize it and I saw it uh at school. Through bullying, through um, toxic relationships, were sometimes codependent relationships that I was in, and uh, in the community at large in Madagascar, you could you can walk down the street and see couples fight or parents yelling at their children, and nobody would say anything because that's just what we think is normal. So when I, I go back to 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 the training, I, I remember that that was my first realization that. It was something I experienced, but I didn't know that it was called emotional abuse. I didn't have the vocabulary and that was the first step. But the other thing was we had another special training about the consequences of that type of abuse on people's sense of identity, dignity, self-esteem, and especially mental health. And that's when it all made sense for me why I wanted to go through in psychology to understand why I was so shy, why my self-esteem was so low. So I would say my healing process started there with that awareness and really my want to to dive deeper into understanding why it was even a a problem and how to heal myself and it took me to go through that experience and um, teach other people about it to to want to bring change in my First, my life in my family, my community, and now through this organization and uh, in Madagascar mainly, but also um, starting to expand a little bit of uh, our reach in other countries as well.
0: That's fantastic.
1: That is, I mean, and it's so true when you grow
0: up like that and it's your norm, you have no Mm -hmm. way of knowing whether this is toxic or abusive or not. That's all you know. And it becomes Mm -hmm. part of your programming,
1: right? Exactly. And if and that's what I used to see in Madagascar, I remember, um, we would be a group of um, young, uh, I would say, girls who were still in high school. And I remember we would talk about, you know, our boyfriends and I remember they we would talk about how one of them was very jealous like a boyfriend was very jealous and we're like oh my gosh she loves you so much and we would you know glamorize that and we would feel like that's what love should look like and um and like you said we were programmed and we were surrounded by a culture that doesn't portray the right the right way to love but instead we we would miss we have misrepresentation of what it looks like and instead we would have belittlement as a way to to show love like those are just jokes you're just too sensitive like this is my way to show you my affection to you but actually it's it's very toxic because you start really mixing I have so many mixed signals and it has uh, an effect on the way you see yourself, the way you show up in the world. And I think as long as we are not putting a name on it and pinpointing it as a problem and not continuing to make make it as it's normal, then we won't change that problem.
0: That's right. It'll live in kind of the way that it's been existing, sort of under the radar, like this is the way it is. And it's, you know it's just everybody else's fault they're being too sensitive selfish or whatever mm-hmm. um that's huge so it's going on everywhere in your view what are some of the most prevalent dynamics or patterns that define toxic relationships what did you start noticing first as like the red flags
1: yeah i it's so it's so subtle because it's so ingrained in a lot of different cultures i, I would say it's insults that people might i would say say that it's endearing or uh it's a way to show love it can also be social pressure when i say social pressure because sometimes when i say emotional abuse and when i even ask people to 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 give a definition it's very blurry for them as well which shows that uh it's hard to put um to have a, a clear definition and understanding of what it is, but it's basically three categories. It's belittlement, control, and manipulation. Under belittlement, you have um uh sarcasm, you have insults, you have uh negative criticism sometimes just because you want to criticize. I'm not talking about positive uh criticism here, uh, and uh the invalidation of emotions. And I think that's a huge one because, and what I've realized is that sometimes it's because of a lack of knowledge about emotions. Sometimes, let's say, and I remember this growing up, when someone would cry, I would know what to do about it. I would just leave. I I wouldn't even know how to put my hand on the person and be like, it's going to be okay. Or ask the person how I could help. But all of those things, they are part of what we call emotional intelligence or social emotional learning and i only learn those tools here like there are things such as how to build empathy how to understand your emotions how to identify them how to to put a name on them how to express them in healthier ways so that As you learn about those emotions, you could potentially see those emotions in other people and build empathy or ask them how they they feel or ask them how you can support them. Even those type of tools we didn't have growing up. And when you do not have that, you are more likely to project your, your, um, in psychology, you call it projection, what you might think another person might feel if they go through something. So let's say you make a joke and... For the other person, it's it's harsh, like it's it's not nice. And they would say that's mean of you, and then you thinking that it's okay, you're gonna be like, You're too sensitive. That that's just a joke, but for the other person, that might have been hurtful. And in that situation, having that emotional intelligence would be to ask the person either to apologize or to ask the person uh, how they felt about it, or even not making the joke in the first place. If we don't know how the other person is going to react to it, especially if it's jokes about people's uh, appearance or um, things that would uh, take, um, I would say, um, make them feel uncomfortable about how they are. And uh, I think all of that is, is part of tools that we don't, get when we grow up and that's part of why sometimes um, basically the lack of understanding of our own emotions and the lack of tools to express that and also see that in other persons uh, we are more likely to perpetuate this type of um, abuse and then the other thing that I saw as well is that there is what we call intergenerational cycle of trauma meaning that especially in my country, the research shows that all of the ways that we have been treating other people has been perpetuated. And the consequences of that in terms of trauma would be uh, perpetuated even in the DNA. I'm not going to go deeper into that, but Research showed that we really can see how, if not recognized and not broken, this pattern can continue. And sometimes I, I remember when I started this research, I would ask my my parents, my dad, first of all, I showed him a video about what emotional abuse was. And I asked him if what he thought about it. And he said, this is wrong. And I said, but do you know that you're doing this to us? Dad? And he, will, he lashed out and was like, what you're talking about? I don't do this. And I realized that, first of all, he didn't realize. But second of all, after that, a month later, he came back to us, my mom and uh, my brothers and I, and he apologized and he said, You're right, my dad did the same thing. So the second thing is that it didn't start with him. I got to my grandparents and then I asked them the question, Is this something like the way we talk to each other? This, for example, uh, what do you think about it? When did it start? Like, why? So this is part of uh, what we call bottom up research to understand a problem better. And then my grandparents said well it has always been like that so even from there I couldn't see where the root cause was but it was through the research that I could understand better that uh, it is really a cycle and we have to to end it. Did you notice a difference it sounds like you kind of
0: learned this stuff when you came over here to
1: study um Mm -hmm.
0: psychology and then especially when you got into dealing with and helping people with sexual assault which I could see that because the barriers are so broken down there and the boundaries have been so violated Mm -hmm. but is is there a difference um that you notice significantly between the two cultures like where you're from from Madagascar and then other places
1: uh culture plays a huge role however um in terms of seeing the pattern it's the same everywhere and the research show as well that um shows as well that before escalating into physical, violent abuse and even sexual abuse, it usually starts with verbal, emotional, and psychological. And that's why the work that we do is so important because being able to see those red flags at the beginning allows you to potentially at least know that this is wrong, like from, from the beginning, because usually when you get into those uh, violent uh, abuse, most of the time people don't have the tools and instead the tools to express their emotions. And instead of expressing their emotions, they're gonna use their you know fist or you know their frustration and they're gonna be violent. Most of the time, that's uh, what uh, I've read in the research. And um, the way it shows up here, for example, when I talk about emotional abuse, in the US, it's the same thing. It's belittlement, it's insults, it's it's um, it's also, for example, um, sometimes it's hard for people to acknowledge that emotional abuse is also here in the US. And one of them is that invalidation of emotion where the people, let's say, would project their emotions and frustrations on other people, and that can show into let's say a parent who who didn't get to do things when they were growing up, let's say, or because of society's uh, pressure, they want their children to succeed. So they're gonna make them, pressure them, control them to be a doctor, to, to do something that maybe the child never wanted to do, but they're not gonna ask them, how you feel about this? Do you wanna do this? But instead they're just like, you want to succeed. So this is the right way. So it's part of like a little bit of control and manipulation at the same time. Sometimes it's unconscious until you realize that the child, I mean, the student or your, your child is going to go through some type of anxiety or even depre- depression at some point. So all of that is part of emotional abuse, but um people don't see it like that until you explain that it's actually the direct definition of how we can show so uh that can be a form of it and it's in a lot of different societies and it's and again, um I mean I didn't explain this before, but one of the reasons why um this type of violence is so uh, subtle, but also in a lot of different contexts is because of systems of oppressions or any type of power imbalance where one of the parties is gonna exert exert more power over another one. So in this case. The parent and the child so what i what we usually do when we talk about the work that we do is making people aware of the signs but also letting them know about the different types of power dynamics so that even if you do have the power let's say the power in the relationship let's say you're the parent you still, for us, the approach is that there still need to be some respect from the parent, but also from the child, and being open to listen to each other's experience and, uh, uh, you know, emotions. At the end of the day, because if we don't, then that's where those hurt and those uh, things that we're gonna hold back because we are afraid to to be disrespectful or to to not uh, live up to the parents' expectations. Where the parents at the end of the day, they want the children to be happy, but instead, um, there is this, um, I would say this, uh, this projection that is very unconscious sometimes, and that can hurt a lot of relationships. So that's for parents and children, but there's also for, you know, in the couple where sometimes there's a lot of role expectations and depending on the genders and, um, still having this respect and hearing each other and having those tools and that that's what we are promoting and we are we believe that that's the way to leave healthier relationships and to prevent those type of hurts and abuse and um, you know very sad consequences at the end of the day
0: Do you work with both the youth and the parents? Do you work
1: like the whole
0: system? Do you work primarily with youth?
1: Yeah, our vision has always been to work with the entire population, but because, like I said, it starts in the household, but then it has um, a lot of uh, different consequences in all of the different relationships in our lives. Uh, however, when we started, we needed to be focused. So we started with youth and children because it was easier to reach them where they were, meaning in schools. Uh, however, now we are starting to uh, reach out to parents because the parents realize that the children have, new tools and they know that umena provided them with some tools so now they want to learn more so that's amazing because now the demand is from the parents it's not us wanting to you know force them to learn something but they really see that there is a change in their children and they also want to be part of it so now we we are uh leading more focus group but we have had um you know, work with parents in the past, but not in the in the scale, in the type of scale that we have with the youth and children.
0: That is so good to hear. So inspirational. I love that, that the okay. children are learning, the youth are learning, the mm-hmm. dynamics are changing. So exactly. the whole game is changing. And now the parents are like, wait a second, what do we we exactly. want to know what's going on here?
1: Yes. and And the amazing thing is that they can see how their children now are more um how did you say this not only open but they are thriving thriving in the sense that because the way we have built our communities that everyone works with um a group of other youth so that they are never alone so this is uh based on the aa model in terms of like um self-help group where they go through a training for um three days we provide them with all of the awareness all of the tools but then they go through what we call community of practice the self-help group group where they are in cohorts of 15 to 20 uh young adults they are future parents as well and they use the tools with the group first of all but also in their own relationships that can be in their romantic relationship that can be back at home with their children sometimes and um that's when we see the the healing. We see that they become catalysts of change because we can see how how much they learn from each other. The fact that they know that they're not alone in wanting to change, that is so powerful that after that, we really can see how they can promote the work outside and how by just seeing them Ah, uh, being able to voice things, being able to listen to people better. People around them see the change. I cannot. That is not just the parents. That's their friends. It's like, oh, you changed. They they do say that. So it's really a a type of holistic approach that we want to have, starting with the youth, so that there is a ripple effect because. So each one of those youth, they commit to reach at least 100 um, people around them. That can be their friends, that can be their family, that can be in their communities, maybe at church, in their school, wherever they go. But they start talking, raising awareness around the issue so that, first of all, we put a name on the problem and then people will realize there is a problem they would want to to make a change. So that has been our approach and um, we have been able to, to really gather thousands of people in the past um, four years now that is fantastic
0: do you have any like a specific success story or example of someone who has benefited from the
1: umena group support and healing it's it's very similar actually the one that i shared with you about my parents it's what i hear but of course differently with either the dad or the mom but usually um with the dad that's what we have seen because of you know the culture where sharing about our emotions is weak and for parents to even um listen to another to their children sometimes is a huge uh success uh for for us so i would say after those conversations we have one of our educators they were at a dinner table and uh she she is one of our educators we call we call them community educators and the dad made a sarcastic joke to the younger um child and the community educator, she said, Dad, don't you think that what you said was uh, mean? That's the only thing she said. She just asked a question to kind of, you know, touch on empathy a little bit, to force the empathy from the dad. And the dad, uh, he thought a little bit about it and he said, yes, you're right. And then he apologized to the to the um, younger child. And then after that, she, she saw that the dad was open to this type of, you know, feedback that she started to, just open conversations around things that she, they never talked about, about family, basically family and brothers and sisters. And that started uh, sharing about some of his past stories about um, his family and how he went through like, life overall and some of his trauma, traumas. And she said that that was the first time that they talked about that, but they continued over a couple of months. And then at the end of, um, I can't remember if it was a year or more, uh the dad started to say i love you to you know the the daughter and things like that it, it's just like starting from you know healing from the parents and then having the child having the tools to um ignite some conversations and even sometimes ask the parents how they might feel like is this sadness is this this and this and then the parent would you know give the give the answer but it's it's like a lot of i would say This would be weird to say, but reparenting ourselves, but also that allows us to to also reparent our parents sometimes when they don't have the tools. So breaking the cycle that way and um, really having deeper and meaningful relationships with your loved ones when they are open to it. But sometimes it goes, you know, the other way where as much as you try and the other person is not receptive or they just don't see the value in doing so, then you either have to make a decision to ha- end the relationship. Sometimes, of course, when it's family, it's very it's very hard. But if it's a romantic relationship or a friendship and you really see that, you know, um you are continuing to hurt, like you're not heard, not validated, then um sometimes they make the hard choice to, to end those relationships. And those are also success stories because it's hard to you know, and a relationship when you think you have thought the entire time that that was love. And when you realize and you have another lens on, on what it looks like and you want to make a change and you realize that you start to get so aware of yourself and your identity and your values that you love yourself more and you're not willing to keep up with this type of behavior. And that's a success story when you get to stand up for yourself, too. Those
0: are great examples. I mean, and good for that dad for being mm-hmm. open and able to self-reflect enough that's to great. see that. So that that's great. And you're right. And there's sometimes when people are just resistant to that. And no matter yeah. what you do, they're not going to see it because that ego wall is so strong or the defense is so strong and it won't get through. And equally as successful is when the person who's been receiving that kind of manipulation loves himself enough to say, Ooh. okay, I'm done. I don't deserve this anymore.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I it can look like a a lot of different things at the end of the day, but I think realizing and making conscious decisions based on the knowledge that you have and having the agency to to make, you know, to decide to stay or to leave. I think those are still success stories, I would say, because um you didn't have that before. You had that awareness and the tools to make different choices at the end of the day.
0: Are there any um common misconceptions or misunderstandings about toxic relationships that you encounter, or and okay. if you do, how do you address those?
1: Yeah, so um, we at the every time we explain what emotional abuse is we have people say, well, if they insulted me one time, so that's emotional abuse. So we have to emphasize that this is repeated behavior. So it has to be repeated to be called emotional abuse. If sometimes, you know, there are times where I'm tired and I'm not, I go on autopilot and I'm just gonna swear maybe, or I'm gonna, be on un- inconsistent un- in the way i usually am in terms of being aware and sometimes when you don't take care of yourself you are more likely to just go on autopilot and start um start deviating <laughs> and insulting maybe or i don't know invalidating someone's um feelings so uh sometimes i think being very clear on The signs. And I think also having people understand that this is an ongoing work in terms of the healing process. Because sometimes we had people saying, Yes, we have the tools now. And and we used it for like six months, but then after that we stopped. And it's not the one time thing that you get and then you're done, but it's an ongoing process where you we really need to sit down and explain to them that this is if you don't continue taking care of yourself and being aware of those tools and use them, you're gonna lose them as well. So I think that those two things, the definition and the use of the tools, uh they have been a little bit tricky to not just explain, but to to convey in terms of how much it's important to be consistent in the work that we do. What um, what advice
0: would you give to individuals who are currently in a toxic relationship and they're struggling to find a way out? Are there any, like you talk about tools, are there practical steps that they can take to prioritize their well-being and mm-hmm. um, begin the healing
1: process? Yes. So first of all, I want to say there is hope. I've been there. I know that a lot of other people are also going through that. You're not alone in in being in those type of situations, but you can get out of it. That's one thing. You can, first of all, maybe want to learn more about what a healthy relationship really looks like. And then once you have that awareness, I invite you to start the healing work. That can be self healing as in it's it's tricky because sometimes if let's say someone has been repeatedly abused in all of their relationships and they have been told who they were and who they were not then they lose really the sense of self they don't know anymore what they like what they don't like what are their values then I would encourage those people to get back to the roots or like really get some help in terms of understanding yourself better get back to Let's say for me, when I when I was really lost in those years where my self-esteem was so low, I went through some programs that allowed me to to regain that understanding of myself. What what does Francesca like? What doesn't she like? what are the strengths of Francesca and that can be concretely that would be I would go to five people that I would trust and I would tell them what do you think I'm I'm good at and they would tell me and they would list a lot of things and I would look at, the, at them and at first I'll be like really you think like I'm that sometimes because I was so lost in in not remembering who I was anymore and it was taking the time to to understand myself again I remember I, I love singing so I would go back to sing again I would read books again I would hang out with the people that I know would bring me up instead of you know always diminishing me so it's a lot of decisions that you need to make for yourself they are not easy but um, it's possible and of course if it's really out of control when you don't know where to start there's always you know professional help and you can go and then go through therapy because the healing process is really it's really that getting back to the roots understanding what you've gone through going through some traumas um making sense of that talking to your inner child it's a lot of different um ways and methods that um as you go through therapy you can get but for me like concretely those were uh the steps that I've taken to kind of rekindle with myself and love myself again and it's a process and it takes time and, uh, but it's, uh, it's possible. And once you're gonna love yourself again, when you're gonna see your value and that you are really worthy of love, you're gonna see that the way people are treating you is not the way you should be treated. And that's where you're gonna have this awakening because I, it's hard to just tell people, how are you just like staying there? Like, This is so they would project, like if I were you, I would just leave. But it's not like that. You're not the person. You don't know what they're going through. And it's hard to just stand up and be like, I'm done. If you don't really believe that I'm done with the situation. So you have to go back and work a little bit on understanding why, understanding, first of all, the signs, but understanding why this is not good for you. Getting back to yourself, getting back to your
0: truest self it's it that's it right there we get lost in these toxic relationships and all this programming because the the whole design of it is just to get you know people to kind of focus on it it's control and manipulation so they want that control over others Mm -hmm. and then consequently they
1: lose control over themselves exactly and the worst thing is when you end up uh with a narcissistic person where it's even more harder because sometimes they know what they're doing and they're going to manipulate you to the point where they're going to apologize and they want to make you feel like they're going to change, but they're not. Then you're, even if you're aware of your value, but you feel like they're going to change you, you get back into the cycle. So sometimes that's where you need more help or you need to be extra strong to get out of it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not easy, but it's possible.
0: Yeah, it's possible and I love what you're doing with the Omena to provide that support because strength is it's definitely important but it's hard to find that if you're disconnected from yourself. So I just I love what you're doing. Um and I understand Omena has reached over a million people through these online uh, online campaigns of awareness. Can you tell me a little bit more about the strategies and approaches that you've employed to create such a wide reaching
1: impact? But we uh, use storytelling to talk about um, what we went through and raise awareness around what emotional abuse was to have more people uh, wanting to, to know what emotional abuse is and wanting to help, help us spread the word. So um we would use an ambassador program basically we would have all of the people who was part of the community um now we are around 250 ambassadors each one of them would reach out like i said 100 people at least but they can reach more they would whatever post that we have they would reshare and blast their friends about it and then those are like the ways we have done in terms of strategies and after that we also had a lot of uh, exposure in terms of like uh traditional tv radio and it's through that um those channels as well that we got to reach uh that many people wow
0: i'm just so glad you're doing all of this this is just something that is needed just one more question looking to the future what are your goals and your aspirations for umena and how do you envision expanding its impact on the healing journey of survivors even more
1: we're starting to um replicate our model in other rural or other regions of Madagascar, but it's not easy. So I want to say realistically, we want first to cover, you know, Madagascar because that's where I'm from, but I am also based here and I've been doing, you know, the awareness portion of the work in a lot of different schools um, here in the United States. And uh, I am planning to continue doing that. Um, we'll see if we can also uh bring the model that we have because I want to be mindful of the culture because in Madagascar we we brought basically the curriculum that we have the we have few activities and programs and I think depending on the settings and the culture and the country it's going to be different but I, I really want to make sure that it, it's aligned with the people we serve and redesigning things takes it takes time. So uh the vision is to reach a lot of people, but it's gonna take time and uh and I think we're doing a good job and continuing doing what we do will potentially allow us to reach more people and have more people aware of the problem and potentially have them inspired to address the issue differently and have more harmonious communities families and societies and countries overall but you're doing it and it's it's probably somewhat organic like what happened
0: with your youth and then the parents start seeing the changes and the more people notice the more people are going to want to know what's happening why is this whole game changing i am so grateful i am so incredibly grateful to you, Francesca, for being on this podcast, for sharing your inspiring journey and the impactful work that you do through Omina. Your dedication to empowering others and raising awareness about emotional abuse is, I mean, it serves as a beacon of hope for those seeking healing and freedom. Um, Before we go, can you provide some contact information for our listeners who want to find out more about you and the Omena group and also maybe that if that video that went viral if that's still available for some of Mm -hmm. us to
1: view yes so everything is on uh, I invite you to follow us on social media uh it's the handle is Omena movement Omena O M E N A, and then movement on all platforms that can be instagram facebook uh tiktok we're all on all of them youtube and the video is on youtube it's our first um first video that we shared about our vision and uh if you'd like to ask questions or learn more about our activities our website is omena movement.org and um yeah feel free to to reach out if you have any questions um or for me specifically we can they can always um forward that to me thanks that's o
0: m e n a m o v e m e n t.org
1: yes what does omena mean by the way oh, we- yeah i forgot this should be maybe at the beginning <laughs> <laughs> So Umena, the entire word, I I really want to show the the logo, but I cannot. But um, it's I do have the the logo with me. But for the people listening, it's basically Umena. The entire word word means um, give provide in Malagasy, and the second part means the mena means red. So it's a play on words. It means providing children with the tools so that they can say stop to abuse and if you see the logo it's a hand holding a red card we don't have red flags in my country it's red card and red cards means um, stop to violence so providing students with the tools so that they can stand up for themselves and stay no to violence thank yeah. you for the question i forgot <laughs> no
0: thank you thank you so much for everything you're doing and thank you for joining me and i, I really did enjoy this a lot thank you and thank you so much Thank you for listening to the Inner Source Healing Podcast. It is important to give yourself the self-compassion that you deserve. And remember that your feelings matter. If you want more information or if you want to contact me, please visit my website at www.InnerSourceTherapy.com.